What's going on, everybody? My name is Eric Velasquez, and this is Alma City Agenda with our next candidate for today, Mr. Dan, Dan Rossiter. Dan Rossiter. Um, thank you for joining. Uh, it's been an action packed <laughs> morning today. Uh, I hope you guys stay warm. Um, so, how was your weekend this past weekend? Uh, warmer than currently. <laughs> I, uh, I kind of missed the weather already. Right? <laughs> Like, only in Texas would be 70 degrees, and you're wearing shorts, and then it's like four. You're here, like, shivering. Like, what's going on? Yeah, and I was, I was telling Eric before we started filming, I was uh, thinking about not doing a jacket today, and then I walked outside and decided it was definitely in jacket weather. Like, jacket and petticoat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so tell me about uh, this this unexpected, like, was it unexpected for you, or did you already have plans, like, you're going in? Sure. So, I mean, I've been thinking about this uh, council seat for a few years now, uh, but certainly the uh, timeline was accelerated by recent events. Um, I, mean, I think most people figured it wouldn't make sense to run against a three-term incumbent. Uh, so, once it, once it was an open seat, that definitely accelerated some of the plans. But it's uh, now this is this has been important for the bottom. Okay. All right. Um, and just so you know. We picked this lighting. <laughs> it was a gathering. We, we picked it. We were like, ah, oh, let's let's be a little bit different. So um, that's what that's what it is. We're gonna get real here, all right? <laughs> um, okay. So tell me about what what pushed you forward? Though? Like, what was that thought process of you like? You know, like I want to go ahead and put my head in the ring for this reason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, so. For the past four years, I've been the president of the Northwoods Neighborhood Association. And uh, through that role, I've had the opportunity to work with constituents and hear some of the challenges they're going through in the district. And so uh, one particular event that uh, really catalyzed my desire to push forward with this was about two years ago now. We had a resident that lived at the intersection of Oak Hill and Ingram. And uh, folks along that intersection for many years prior uh, had been raising concerns with the council district about the uh, vehicles that were running through the end of Oak Hill into their front yards. And so it's, you know, it's obviously terrible. And then the, the uh, culmination was a resident had a vehicle end up in the bedroom where his wife was sleeping only a few feet away. And so that, that was two years ago. Um, and then following that, I began, uh, as the leader that he put at the time, working with both District 6 and 7, because that happens to sit right on the border those districts, um, so both with Melissa's office and public works directly with the transportation department directly, as well as even parks to look at the potential barriers that they could be involved in putting to protect these residents. Um, but a, a multi-year process, um, I just actually last week got off a call to Tamika and her team in the, the transportation department looking at long-term plans for how we can reconfigure that road. It's right next to Holmes High School, so you've got all these kids. Yeah walking every day home from school, yeah. it, it needs to be safer. And, and so finding those kinds of opportunities where maybe the city hasn't gone to the level that it needs to be gone to to protect our citizenry, that's just a critical need that I it's, it's so rewarding to be a part of the solution. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Neighborhood associations, I feel, are um, pretty vital in good, thriving communities. Unfortunately, it's something like the or no neighborhoods that uh, don't get enough attention because uh, you might not have a strong neighborhood association. Do you feel that? 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I think back to Thunderbird Hills, which um, has a long history of really great leaders. Jane DeBell, uh, we, we have a park named after her. She's one of our founding mothers, if you will, of the neighborhood. Um, but there, there was a lull in leadership where the neighborhood was about to disband. And I think most of these places that are volunteer run, yeah. people have jobs, they have other things that they focus on families, right? And so it's really hard. It's, a, it's often a thankless job. Oh, yeah. It's so critical because the reality is, you know, you look at the number of constituents served by any council district, we're looking at about 150,000 people. We're only eight people in an office. We rely heavily on these organizations to draw our attention to where we need to be focusing. Yeah, you know that's something that I, I haven't actually brought up as much as I wanted to, with a city council office or even like a Texas council office. How do you how do you think that you will be able to combine all these organizations that do these um, back behind the scenes kind of work that? You know, we don't really see, but they do a lot of things like that. And, and but, but what we've seen is these organizations don't talk to each other. So one might be doing something else that the other one's doing, but they're not talking to each other. They're not doing double work. Absolutely. So how would you like to see that incorporated into the city council to where you guys are working? Sure. So I think a critical part of that is keep lines of communication open, obviously between the council district and the neighborhood neighborhoods, but also between the neighborhoods and the other neighborhoods. And so uh, if you look at most um, districts 6 and 7, there were many other districts as well. They have maybe quarterly roundtable discussions where they bring these neighborhoods together. And a well-run example of that sort of thing is going to involve neighbors talking to each other, not the council member talking at them necessarily. Maybe there's some updates and things like that, but also bringing those neighborhoods together to discuss between themselves. Yeah, this is the question I asked in previous interviews. How are you going to be able to relate to those uh, constituents? Because um, you obviously, you know, you've been on a lot of different boards and things like that and different organizations. To, to constituents, like regular constituents that just have a day-to-day -day job, that, you know, um, they might see city council, a city council person or a candidate thinking, oh, well, this person thinks they know more, and they're talking down to me and not with me. How are you going to navigate that issue to where you're relating to those people? No, absolutely. I mean, I think um, any council member thinks they know more than the folks who are living out there in the situation of age. Um, it's, it's, it's very much a collaborative effort where you know, that role exists to amplify the needs of the folks out there. It's not for me to go and tell them what they need, right? It's to understand the problems and to work toward a solution that's going to address those needs in those neighborhoods. Lisa says, Team Moses Roses. Oh, I guess I'm assuming that's the uh, in regards to imminent domain. So what are your thoughts on the imminent domain? Sure. Um, it's obviously an incredibly challenging topic. Um, we're, as a state, founded on the principle of uh, come and take it, right? I mean, look at the <laughs> owl right over there. We're, we're very protective of uh, what we've worked for. 
And so I think while eminent domain is a critical tool that can enable critical infrastructure supporting the many over the, you know, an individual having to sell a portion of land, sometimes eminent domain is justified and necessary to enable um, projects that benefit the greater good. Um, I will say in, the, in regard to Moses and Roses, it's a much more complicated discussion and some of the uh, transportation or drainage focused ones, which I know uh, Terry was talking about just a couple hours ago. Um, I will say I don't have enough information on the specific case to say whether it's justified or not, but I, I can speak to economic development in general and the critical role it can play. Um, so I sat for uh, many years on the Gross Development Board of Board of Directors, um, where our focus was driving economic development in a historically underinvested community on the south side of San Antonio. And I will say through that, I, I learned a great deal about how economic development indirectly empowers so many different things, right? You generate revenue, which can in turn be reinvested into the community. It's not just about, uh, all right, well, let's generate millions of dollars and pay it back to shareholders. No, ideally, if it's structured correctly, that's going right back into the community to support uh, initiatives that are critical. I mean, we look at, uh, let's talk about the bond program for a second, since it's a great segue to that. <laughs> Um, the, the bond program we just funded for the 2022 through 27 period is, was uh, $1.1 which sounds like a lot to me. I like that in my bank account. But uh, it's in reality, it's just a small fraction of the $6.6 .6 billion that we need that city staff will determine this what actually we need to address all the green and the roadway, all the, uh, all the needs that exist throughout our city. And so we're, we're working with deficit, and we need to find ways to generate more revenue to address that deficit. Is the result of that underinvestment in certain areas of opportunity? What and what cost that would be that that's going to relate to? Because, like, I'll be honest with you, I feel like a lot of the council members are, yeah, we're going to we're doing this to generate wealth, but at the end of the day, these constituents are being hurt taxes, whereas you have, say for example, an entity over on the Brookside um, pays no taxes. Yes, they probably are letting, you know, the city hold function yeah. there or whatever, but they're not paying any property taxes, whereas the people in that area are being taxed out of their homes. How are you going to take that into effect and, and give the people confidence that Sure. And then obviously that's the hard balance to play, right? You want to balance the changes in property values um, with the improved quality of life that residents get. It's, it's a hard balance to find. I don't claim to know the answer. Um, it's, uh, I, I think if we had a crystal ball that told us exactly where that right line is, case-by-case basis and, and trying your best to quantify what the impacts of this particular investment are going to be and structuring it in such a way that the benefits outweigh um, the opportunities. How, how important is it to be fully transparent to the public and show that transparency? Because honestly, I, I don't see a lot of transparency because my thought process is what other council members are saying is, well, it's just a day-to-day -day thing and I have to make these decisions, so there's no point of telling every single thing that I vote on. What, what's your level of transparency? 
future. So I, I would say the transparency when I first began thinking about the pillars of this campaign is the um, so if, if uh, you look at how council districts operate today, um, there is no public accountability for constituent concerns that were raised and what actions were taken. Right? It's, it often requires follow-up. Um, it often requires intentionality. And we've already talked about folks with jobs. They, they don't necessarily have the time to continue pressing. Um, my goal uh, is to engage in the in conversations with ITSD the Office of Innovation to establish a publicly accessible way for folks to see every constituent concern that is raised, what actions have been taken, what city departments have been engaged, what funding sources are we looking at to make it happen, um, and, and make that publicly available. Um, so if, if we're not doing our job, the public will be equipped to put that finger and say you're not doing your job. Meanwhile, hopefully, if we, if we are doing our job, they'll also recognize that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I think that accountability and that transparency to what actions are being taken or not taken is a critical piece that we have to Like you said, there's a difficult line of balance where you know, there are some deliberate things that we're saying. It's just the people have lost confidence in, in the government. Um, I mean, not that we should rely on the government anyway. But uh, we should at least have some sort of like the, uh, at least the infrastructure is going to be fixed. Um, what are some infrastructure things that you see this You're like, ah, uh, this is why hasn't this been addressed? Sure. So uh, actually, the, the biggest one I think that most seven residents will be aware of is Brothers Two, Bender uh, Road Bridge, um, Calabria being close third. Um, so I actually had the chance to write. Uh, sent into a report just a few months ago regarding Bandera Road and Tenscott's proposed work there. So I encourage uh, the viewers to go check that out. But uh, basically the way I feel about what they're proposing and after speaking with the engineers who did the study, uh, Tenscott's taking the cheap way out. Um, they're not making the investment necessary to support the folks who have been for decades now suffering with that uh, oftentimes completely unusable road. I've sat in it as if it were a parking lot um, times now. It's just, it's not acceptable. Um, and I think the, the other challenge, drainage, uh, is, is a clear challenge, and one that is particularly complicated as of Bandera Road, because District 7's uh, geographic layout and political layout is so far more complicated than most every other district in the Leon Valley. Um, that's not a, not a dig on Leon Valley, it's simply an acknowledgement of the complexity when you have multiple government agencies involved. It's a whole lot easier to set up a bond program and fund something where the road is solely within San Antonio. Yeah. Uh, then you have to devise a solution that has to get buy-in from the city of San Antonio, the city of Leon Valley, the Texas Department of Transportation, the county. You suddenly have a far more complicated task ahead of you. <coughs> and so I think whoever takes this job needs to be someone who is equipped to handle those multi-governmental agreements, negotiate appropriate approach that is amenable to all those different entities while still addressing the constituent needs within District 7. Yeah, definitely, uh, have you seen a lot of community engagement? Like, besides the neighborhood association, um, what have you found from the community itself that you weren't aware of? So I, I will say over the past four years, uh, working with different organizations, 
Student Association has been a constant learning experience. Uh, I, I think the biggest concerns that I hear are uh, infrastructure, right? It's, you know, we don't we want our pockets fixed. Um, we want our drainage fixed. Um, but I've also heard public safety is an issue. Um, and I'll tell you where I live. It is basically every night I hear gunshots. Um, just two days ago, one of my fellow community presidents raised to me uh, a, uh, a shooting that occurred in an apartment complex on a mile from that The husband and wife were coming home from the grocery shop on my own and someone approached them. You know, the wife was able to get away. The husband was shot. Um, survived, to the best of my knowledge, last chance. But um, that was them walking home from HEB. And, you know, it's, it, we all deserve to feel safe in our homes. On the flip side of that, you look at some of the some of the climate that's happening today and some of the misbehavior of our kids. Um, clearly, that's something that has to be curbed. And I think San Antonio has largely done a good job at mitigating those sorts of things happening here, which is probably what they're down And I think that anyone who goes in without a mind towards having a better improvement to ensure that communities feel safe, both from police and from uh, bad actors. Yeah. Well, and I know that something unfortunate about that. You know, and, and people are like, well, we're funding all this stuff for the police and things are doing worse. Because I mean, we were on top of homicide rates, right? To like, um, I, I just saw it, I was like shocked. Like, top of homicides, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, but when you see that, uh, you know, what do you think you can do and not sever that that communication with the police? Sure. I mean, I think the, the San Antonio public has been clear. They did an essay speak up survey a few months back. And uh, the answer of priorities was uh, number one, housing affordability, which is yeah. there. And then number two was police. San Antonians want to be kept safe in their homes. Um, and I, so I think that the, the budget accounts for that. But at the same time, again, a continuing conversation, a continuing effort to ensure that we are building a system that is accountable and not abusing the powers that they have to mistreat our constituents is critical. Yeah, very true. And um, switch gears. Be so serious. <laughs> um, what is your favorite? So I, I think uh, the most San Antonio place I can think of is uh, it's just it cracks me up because of how it has evolved is uh, the donut shop off of Fredericksburg. Where else but San Antonio do you have a donut shop that's known only for the breakfast tacos? Yeah. When I heard that, I was like. Are these guys doing crap or something, or what, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. But yeah, like, I, I went there and I was like, okay, it's not bad. It's not bad. Like, the weird thing is that people block traffic now, which is a concern. Yes. But people still navigate their way around it, and it's fine. So, you know, but I just think it's funny. Yeah. Um, that is what it's, I think it was voted like best taco place in, in San Antonio. So, um, and speaking of, we are at Wild Barley, which you know we're here a lot. Um, 
Well, Barley Kitchen and Brewery uh, from Broadway. They are our sponsored location for today. Um, so come on by. Whenever we do these interviews, you can come down as well and ask questions directly to the candidate. Um, grab a bagel or a beer or a whatever you want. Um, just come down and hang out. So thank you, Mark. <laughs> um, as far as voting changes, what are your thoughts on changing up the voting method to like approval voting or ranked choice voting? Or do you think we're okay with this? It's an interesting question. I've looked a little bit at ranked voting and some of the implications that has to how things work, right? It's basically saying, okay, well, this is my candidate that I like the most, but if I had to not have that person who's the best, best option, in theory, it seems like it could be a better solution because now you're just make more sense to me, right? It's, it's, it's not a all or nothing thing. It's not like if I don't have this candidate, then I'm, I'm SOL, there's nothing that they can do for me. So, but it does require a level of uh, voter uh, education that, that would be challenging, right? It's, it's hard enough, speaking from my own personal experience, it's hard enough to become familiar enough with the candidates to pick my first pick if I've now got to go and turn around and learn about three or four more per race. It's, uh, that, that's pretty tricky. Yeah, well, and, and at the end of the day, like I, like I said in the last show, is you get to learn who your, who your candidates are. Like, and that's the whole reason why I do this is to learn who they are, what they're about. Um, instead of just, like I said, <laughs> pulling up to the voting polling station and in your car and looking up, oh, who's this? <laughs> I've definitely never done that before. <laughs> you know, my wife was like, what are you doing right now? I was like, I'm looking at the kids. She's like, shake my head. I was like, uh, you know, that's not how you reason. That's not the way to So yeah, I mean, definitely look at the candidates. Um, you know, ranked choice, though, is illegal in Texas. So even if we were to pass ranked choice voting in Texas in San Antonio, it would be illegal in Texas. Um, because Austin passed the choice voting last time, and they can't use it. So it needs to change the legislature. Uh, but approval voting would be acceptable. So if you were to change approval voting, that's basically you can vote for whoever you want. You can vote for all five candidates if you wanted to, just whoever has the most votes. Um, and there isn't a ranking system where we saw that in New York that the ranking system just it was, it was like four or five days afterwards, and nobody knew who was who won, and it was a mess. And it was it wasn't a good look for ranked choice, but at the end of the day, I think like Austin saw it needed need a change, can't use it. And I think San Antonio is maybe wanting to change, but I think we still have problems with how our sectors right now and, and all that. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's uh, it's interesting. There's, there's definitely a lot of different options. I mean, we've traditionally kind of gone with uh, pick the one, and right. so that's what everyone's used to. So it'd certainly be a huge education effort to change. It would, it would, but I think it would eliminate runoff elections, which is a big one. There's a lot of millions of dollars that goes into just holding the elections. Just a thought. Anyway. <laughs> um, what about? Self-care for yourself. Yeah. Self-care for yourself, or what hobbies, or whatever. Sure. So I, uh, so I own a small business. It's a real estate company where I uh, go and 
pick up basically the worst house on the block and I'll uh, go and give it new life and then I'll hold it long term in my town. And so I, I think uh, self care for me is the demolition day. I love the hammer day. I love getting to go and swing a hammer. I still do most of the work myself. And so oh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I get to tear out an old uh, uh, shower stall from uh, 50 years ago, a few weeks back, and that was pretty fun. What's, um, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? So my, my personal residence, I'll, I'll tell a quick story here. So I bought a single family home and uh, I converted it into a duplex. And so I, I live in effectively a studio apartment and then the main house is rented. Um, so I had to go through the zoning process, which was kind of my first encounter with those sorts of things with the city. I had to go through the permitting process and everything else. But the studio that I live in now was originally built to be a um, salon. And so the, the previous owners have been running the business out of there um, in this 500 square foot space. And they had built a space that was uh, entirely uh, fitting a full-on hot tub. This is the second floor, mind you. Right. Right. A full-on <laughs> hot tub that they had to build this room around. Could not be moved in or out. It was literally built around this tub. And it had a tiny little sand that was in it. And so when I, when I first walked in, Myself and my real estate agent both our jaws just hit the ground. Was it carpeted? Uh, thankfully. No. <laughs> thankfully no. But that, so it, it required talk about fun demolition. It required getting a sawzall out and cutting this tub in half to get it out and uh, and throwing it down the stairs. But that was uh, a fun experience. So yeah, I mean that's really cool. Right? So. Okay, so you're in real estate. How can you gain the trust of the public for them to say, to, to not just think of you as just somebody who's trying to take over the market and raise the prices of That's right. So I, I will tell you that generally the neighbors around that worst home on the block that I go pick up are thanking me. I've, I've had. Uh, families come out and offer to bake me a cake or whatever else because that's just you know it's it's not like I'm going into a blighted neighborhood and going in and artificially raising the values of homes that would be disproportionate to the homes around them. It's going and taking that home that hasn't been taken care of for decades while all the neighbors around them are and going and bringing it up to level with where everything else is at. So in those instances it's avoiding artificially dropping their property value. There's that one home that's not going to take it. Yeah, because that, that's a big issue right now. And, I mean, it's been an issue, but it's really focused on it now because now um, we're seeing record numbers of people protesting their taxes. Um, you can protest your property taxes. If you, haven't, no, if you haven't figured that one out yet, if you haven't heard about that, please protest your property taxes every single day. Um, but, yeah, it, it, we always see the worst, like, oh, these people are coming in and buying homes, and, you know, like you were saying, not making it look the same, it's, you know, high, high class or whatever, and, and really nice, and, yeah, and these people are getting frustrated, and when you look at, like, Tobin Hill, that place is really, like, night and day, like, you just see different houses, and it's just, like, people are upset. And I, I don't think that that's appropriate. I think there's a level of responsibility that you need to take on 
when we take on these sorts of projects, you know, work within where that neighborhood is, is designed. You can, you can tell the spirit of it. You can tell what is the appropriate sort of finish to put on the canvas on the material. I think the folks that are going in and artificially taking neighborhoods in there, clearly going to create an issue of them being able to stay in their home. That's a response for them. So it sounds like you're young. What's your plan to address um, the house's population? Because I'm sure you said that it's not as bad as the district of Montgomery. What's your plan on addressing that or voting with your peers um, in addressing those situations? So I'm going to have to, first and foremost, I have to give a shout out to Haven for Hope and Sam Ministries and all the other organizations out there that have been the backbone of providing housing for the folks that can get. We have an incredible community in San Antonio. It's, it's really built uh, that safety net for folks who live in the state of homelessness. Uh, I think to have a challenge, including Haven for Hope, many of those organizations So it's, it's coming back to uh, when, I, when I bought my home and decided to put that into 
saying for concrete zoning process before. I had never gone through the permitting process. I had never um, done a major renovation project, which was a volume of work I did myself. Um, and uh, going through and learning all of that, working with the city, working with CPS, working with all the different organizations to go through and do it correctly. And I will tell you, basically every day I didn't know what I was doing and I had to figure it out. Yeah. And, and, but I think that's how we grow as, a, as individuals, is to continue pushing our boundaries and taking up and doing something that will sink or Yeah. Um, what's your plan on bridging the gap between the city, city council, District 7, and the youth and Sure. So I think youth engagement is critical. We've got a bunch of great uh, high schools in the area who are like the first to get involved. Whenever um, uh, Bridge, we've got a chance to get engaged with a number of individuals who are up there, those high schools as well as the elementaries we've got up there. So Howell Elementary is along the district side of the on the district side of the it's just an opportunity to get engaged. It's no secret that we've got a, such a low percentage of folks involved in our elections, especially in these local elections that aren't tied to the big high-profile presidential races. And helping them understand that these local elections are so much more impactful than who's in the White House. At the end of the day, the impact that your council member has on your day-to-day is so much greater than who sits in the White House. Well, I, I think they did help me to that Tell people how to get an overview and help, donate, volunteer, whatever. Absolutely. So we uh, we just soft launched our website yesterday. So if you go to Dan the number four D seven dot com, um, we've got uh, some information on the platform. It's still being developed. We're going to build out some content over the next few days. But uh, Dan number four D seven dot com. You can email us from there and get in touch with me as well as the rest of the campaign. Uh, we've also got a donate button if you feel so inclined. Uh, these campaigns are expensive, and so every one dollar helps. Uh, we'll be out block walking, and uh, if you have any events in the area, you can pick us to get involved. We've already reached out to all the registered neighborhoods in the district, and otherwise, there's all kinds of other organizations that are meeting. And if you'd like me to come out, I'd be really happy to hear it. Just uh, reach out to me there. And uh, you can also email me directly if you want to at dan at dan with a number four d7.com. And I'll respond to it. So, at least you didn't do it like dan the man. You know? <laughs> dan the man for d7. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. <laughs> no, but. Immediate no vote, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Um, but awesome, yeah. Uh, what's it gonna say? Um, yeah, I forgot what it was gonna say. What's gonna be some engagement? Oh, if I, I don't like to say, if, but you know, if whatever happens and um, you get elected or, or your term ends or whatever, you don't get elected, will you continue? Like, Public service or something like that avenue, or we can just take it over the or like a discipline. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's uh, I've, I've been involved in the community 
four years with Thunderbird Guild and before that a number of years with the Condo Association on numerous boards and commissions. Um, I like to serve my community and, and you know, obviously we're planning to win this race. Um, we're going to do that and make sure that happens. But regardless of the outcome, I'll, I'll continue to serve and uh, bring my, uh, my talent, my treasure, and my time to uh, support the community that we're going to do to the neighborhood. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you know, a lot of times they, uh, you know, people are dealing with their challenges and just, you know, and, and I get it because it's a lot, but, um, you know, it, it's hard to uh, wonder, like, you know, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, if you haven't served with your kind of or your Yes. Thing, right? Yeah. So, awesome. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, well, thank you, Dan. Um, you guys know how to get a hold of them. You know how to go on to your blog blog. Um, right? Yeah, I mean, blog blog. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're getting our print material put together and should be printed by the end of this week. And so we'll be kicking off block walking immediately thereafter. So if you've got cycles, that's realistically the most uh, demanding part of the campaign is boots on the ground. Got time and you'd like to support in that way, we'd really love to have you again reach out on our website. We've got a band number four d7.com and uh, you can reach us there and, and we'd love to talk to you. Would you be It's cold, guys, but still, you can still walk it off, you know, walk it off a little bit. Um, and right now, that it's not super hot because when it gets hot, it's <laughs> I, I will take this over 180. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, am I going to pass out? Awesome. Well, thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Um, thank you guys for joining and watching. Um, it, it's just two of y'all right now. Okay, so we'll see how this race goes. If there's going to be anybody else that jumps in last minute, who knows? I think February. Uh, it's, it's middle of February. Middle of February. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So middle of February when those things have to be put in. Um, so just keep an eye out. We'll be hopefully doing some district three. Um, yeah, we're gonna try to do all that. So, um, but yeah, just keep an eye out. Keep bringing those questions. Again, um, when we come back and do another episode here, Wild Barley, feel free to come down. You know, support small businesses. Um, any of these businesses that we're at, please support them, especially if you're in your district, in the city council district, support them because all that money that goes back into the district will just keep helping that district out. Um, so just please keep doing that. Um, and stay tuned for more interviews. So thank you guys. It's Alice on the agenda. Have a great day.